Hello, it's Friday the 21st of July. I'm Miranda Sawyer and I'm going paddleboarding with Adrian Childs. Welcome back to Papercuts, the modern newspaper review, where we do a belly flop into the deep end of the British press. We splash about in the stories, front crawl through the front pages and dive right down to the bottom to bring you the biggest scoops, the best reporting and the call the lifeguard tomfoolery of the UK papers. Remember, we're out mid-morning every Monday, Wednesday and Friday, so subscribe on your favourite podcast app and you'll never miss an episode. Now, here are the headlines for today's show. Selby having you, Labour win big up in Yorkshire, Lib Dems get Somerset, but Tories just hold on to Uxbridge. A right pair of Charlies, Royal Family all over the papers again, Charles and Andrew getting stick, and Class War? What strange end-of-year gifts will teachers get this year? Welcome to Papercuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Papercuts, where we love to get excited by a by-election swing. I'm Miranda Sawyer, and here to join me in sorting through a pile of fire starters is historian and writer Alex von Tunzelman. Hello, Alex. Good morning. And also with us is stand-up comedian and excellent boot wearer, Ria Lina. Hello, Hello, Ria. Hello. Thanks for noticing the shoe wear. (laughs) So what have we got on the front pages today? Alex, what have we got? Well, I've got a bunch of royal stories. So the Times are leading on NatWest's boss says sorry over Farage Rao, but a big picture of His Majesty King Charles III with an alpaca. Um, quite fetching. Uh, a fan. A, a fan. <laughs> um, and uh, The Guardian, also leading on the rules, taxpayer to fund 45% pay rise for royals despite cost of living crisis. Very much more a Guardian take. And then a very mirror take on the royals. Um, court documents reveal Andrew's Epstein lies on Newsnight. Mm. Lies in inverted commas there. Allegation not proven. OK. Um, Ria, what do you have? Oh, well, I've got the Telegraph, which uh, not surprisingly leads with the Farage story. Bank boss says sorry to Farage over accounts. Um, And then for something a little bit different, uh, The Sun has decided to go with the the big battle. I don't know if you knew this, between ITV and BBC as to who would get Josie Gibson on either I'm a Celeb or BBC Strictly. I don't even know if you care what the answer is. So that headline is Josie of the Jungle. Can we just say how rubbish is that? It's really bad. It's, it's a bad terrible. story and it's a terrible headline. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what dance starts with J if she'd gone with Strictly. Jive. Josie of the, Josie just the jive. There we go. See, we could have done that's this ourselves. Better. And then at the top across the banner is George at 10, and that's talking about Prince George, who is now 10, not that he's going to be on TV at 10 o'clock, which is what it normally means. Or that he's now the prime minister. <laughs> or he'd do a better job. Now, yesterday, there were three by-elections of Conservative-held seats. One in Selby and Ainsty in Yorkshire, one in Somerset and Froome in the southwest of England, and one on the outskirts of London in Uxbridge, Boris Johnson's old seat. As the papers went to press, the results went out. So they're not in the kind of paper versions that we have here. But the votes were counted overnight, obviously, and Labour took Selby with a huge swing. The Lib Dems took Somerset also with a big swing. And the Tories just held on to Uxbridge by less than 500 votes. The paper's websites have been reporting on the action, some with a kind of rolling news report, others with not. Alex, how do those websites look this morning? Well, they pretty much... I mean, this is one of those things where... 
there's something for everybody to grasp onto <laughs> depending on their political preferences because you know you've got a Lib Dem win a Labour win and a very very narrow Tories just managing to hold on to Boris Johnson's old seat of course of Uxbridge so what we can see is that you know the, there's sort of everyone's kind of pretty much aligned according to where you think the papers would. The Times has done a sort of reasonably balanced by-election results live. Tories suffer two defeats in safe seats. That's, that's kind of quite reasonable. But the way that some of the right-wing papers have tried to spin it is, you know, very much kind of more negative for Labour. So, for instance, we have in the Telegraph by-election results live, Labour fails to win Uxbridge amid ULEZ revolt. And in the Sun, sixth story down, so given a low priority, uh, big win. Tories keep hold of Boris Johnson's old seat in massive blow to Keir Starmer. Now, this Uxbridge seat was only won by 495 votes. So, I mean, it's not really a massive big win or, or a blow. Um, it is certainly a very, very close result. And very much, of course, I mean, by-elections is often the case. These are very, very localised results. So in Uxbridge particularly, uh, there's a lot of concern about ULES, which was mentioned in those, you know, this ultra low emissions zone, causing a lot of uh, discontent about that coming in more in, in outer London. Clearly, that's not an issue that affects the whole country. So that's not a sort of bellwether for whatever might happen in a general election. No, it isn't. But I suppose perhaps they're worried about um, uh, seats that maybe Labour could take round the edge of London. That's what they might be worried about. Absolutely. Right? Um, if it is still an issue by the time of the general election, the ULEZ, I mean, because, of course, it's one of those things that will by then be implemented rather than policies tend to be extremely unpopular before they come in and then people see how they actually play in real life. So, you know, but I think what what is happening there, I mean, it's a, to be honest, pretty dire result overnight for the Tories everywhere. Yeah. Um, and so these are attempts to spin it in a way that is slightly less dire, but they are spin. Yeah, they are spin. I mean, basically, there was a huge victory in Selby for Labour. I'm just going to, you know, outline how big it is. It, that was the um, the largest Conservative majority overturned by Labour in a by-election since 1945. The Tories had a majority of 20,137. Wow. So it's like massive. And they flipped that. The Tory support dropped from around 60% in the 2019 general election down to 34%. So that is, you know, a big deal. So the winner mm. who, who's got in in Selby is Keir Mather. And he's just 25. The youngest MP in the House of Commons. This is great news, but it's also potentially quite hard for him. I think going into being called Keir, being twenty-five into the um, into the House of Commons could be difficult, right, Ria? Definitely. So, I mean, they were named after the same Keir, weren't they? They as were. Well. Yeah, they Keir were. Hardy. I don't know. I think I'd be story. worried if I was Keir Starmer. Having some new fresh face come in with the biggest majority lead that <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. since 1945. He seems to have a bit of personality and pep. I don't know. I'd be worried if I was old Keir uh, rather than new Keir. But I, it, it'll be interesting. But this is a perfect time for him to learn, right, is when he's probably safely going to come into government. Yeah. It's a, it's a good learning curve. And honestly, it says a lot that if they're willing to have a completely new, inexperienced MP represent them rather than any Tory... I yeah. think that I think that's far more damning for the Tories than what happened in Uxbridge. Because let's be honest, look at the rest of the vote in Uxbridge. There were so many people running for MP in Uxbridge. Oh, there were some actually, great candidates, weren't uh, there? <laughs> I mean, it's I'm I'm a little bit frustrated by it, if anything, because okay, they only won by four hundred. How many did they won by four hundred ninety-five? Four hundred ninety-five yeah. votes, um, and they go, we won. Well, not really. It's because the vote got fractured across all of these other candidates. So the Lib Dems got five hundred and twenty-six votes. So if all of those Lib Dems is actually tacked voted 
The yeah, Tories wouldn't out. have gotten in. The Greens got 893 votes. Lawrence Fox got 714. Let's ignore that because those would have gone to the Tories, wouldn't they? Count Binface actually beat... <laughs> Piers Corbyn <laughs> by 190 votes to 171 votes. Go Count Binface. It's a really brilliant of Binface picture of Binface, I have to say. <laughs> Standing behind the Conservative Party winner in Uxbridge. So, you know, it's a very serious moment. The Tories have won. Rah, rah, rah. And there's just a bloke with a bin on his head. I mean, <laughs> I said that it, there are no bad pictures of Binface. There are none. No, no he's it's always very photo stylish. ready. Very stylish. It's sleek lines. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Can't I, take a bad picture. No. I understand that you know Binface, really. I do know Binface. This, I am so impressed <gasps> I, by this. <laughs> I texted him earlier this week and I just went, hey, do you want to go for coffee? He went, I'm a little bit busy trying to be an MP, running for <laughs> running for office. How about week after? Uh, <laughs> it's got some quite sensible policies. I mean, much more sensible than Piers Corbyn, to be fair, as the electorate decided. I, yes, I would true. argue more sensible than Lawrence Fox. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think it's the facelessness of it, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, you know, is he good looking underneath? We just want to know. Oh, I couldn't reveal. Couldn't possibly. <laughs> you know, if you want to know what Count Binface looks like, you're going to have to vote for Count Binface. <gasps> yes. There has been some argument online about Ulez, uh, that Ulez is the story here in Uxbridge. Um, and some people have been saying, OK, um, if if everybody's getting exercised about ULES, which is understandable, if you suddenly have to pay an extra money to drive to drive around where you live, and there isn't any uh, great alternative um, public transport, um, if Labour had some policies that were perhaps more prominent, um, then you could say, okay, there's ULES, but there's also this. You know, Labour are going to be great. Um, do you think that might have worked? Well, it's an interesting question. It is being floated. Um, there's an analysis piece by Lewis Baston in The Guardian that says that, you know, the lack of what they call a retail policy. Retail what, policy. So what they mean by that is um, some sort of policy that you can sort of simply say, yes, I'll have that, please. Thank you very much. This is a simple policy that's going to improve my life and I can clearly understand it. Right. So I think that is kind of so, I mean, actually, the Labour candidate in Uxbridge was also pretty cool on... Yeah, he had to be cool down on ULES, didn't he? Yeah, he yeah. did. He wasn't kind of like a super ULES supporter or anything. Yeah. No, you know what? I think you can. Pr- the numbers prove that ULES had nothing to do with the election win because either you believed the Labour candidate and he was also going to fight ULES, in which case people still voted for him, or you didn't believe him and he only lost by 400-odd votes, votes. It had nothing to do with it. It was very much party politics all the way, and I think the split vote is the reason. And it's interesting perhaps also because the Tories immediately said it was all about ULES um, because what they want to do is put to Zadiq Khan, who is Labour yeah. and is bringing in ULES, against the Labour Party. They kind of want to make it look like Labour infighting. Well, I mean, it's always pretty easy to provoke some Labour infighting. <laughs> <You laughs> I mean, they've been doing it, haven't they? I mean, there's a number of people that have criti- critiqued uh, the mayor uh, for getting that they're on the same side. Yeah. So, And in fact, I, I mean... Little known fact, but it was actually Grant Shapps that made expanding EULA as part of the TFL financial deal. So They said they had to. They said they had to. So again, it had nothing to do with, with Labour saying they were for or against it. it. I mean, it's coming anyway. So And of course, it was originally a Boris Johnson policy, which came off David Cameron's uh, environmental climate targets. So essentially, it is a Tory policy. Yeah. <laughs> Now, in the Daily Mail, on page 15, there is a story that we like. Woo! Who'd have thought? 
it's a big story about women's football. It's a really interesting historical feature about how popular women's football used to be. There was in in the kind of setup for the feature, they say there was fifty three thousand people at Goodison Park, which is where Everton plays, um, to watch two sides of female female factory workers in nineteen twenty. Um, since then, it all went wrong. <laughs> To be honest, Rhea, there are amazing facts in this piece, aren't there? There's some wonderful facts in this piece. I mean, first of all, women's football uh, came in after World War One when the men were all out fighting. So the women started taking the jobs and they started playing football and it became incredibly popular to watch. Uh, and then less than a year after being rocked by the scale of the spectacle at Goodison, the Football Association were afraid of the damage that the runaway success of the women's league could inflict on the men's league. And so they had it banned. They banned it. They banned it from all professional grounds. It's unbelievable. And this ban lasted for 50 years. That's why there was no football. It's just (laughs) unbelievable. The FA, I mean, I have to say, have, you know, been incredibly consistently shite. (laughs) I mean, it's just how they are. But, you know, they banned it for 50 years. It's a brilliant story, isn't it? It's a story of this ladies team called Dick Care Ladies Team. It's a factory team in Preston. Mm. And they had this superstar striker, Lily Parr, six foot tall and a chain smoker, right? (laughs) And yet, and yet still so good. So it turns out that the battle of the sexes back in the 70s between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs was not the first battle of sexes that we saw. In fact, Lily Parr, who's this fantastic, you know, uh, female footballer, in the, who broke into football at the age of 15, six foot tall, a local newspaper said there was probably no greater football prodigy in the whole of the country. Now, this incensed one male critic who was also a professional goalie so much, and it's interesting that they don't name him as if to save his face, uh, <laughs> that he resolved to expose her shortcomings by challenging her to put a goal past him. Okay, tension builds. Uh, Part, despite being described as a very shy lass, agreed... And uh, when he attempted to save the penalty taken by her, it broke his arm. I love that story so much. There's so many punchlines within this story. It's just brilliant. That's a proper fun to analyze. Um Alex, this is essentially I mean, this story about women's sports being banned is actually a kind of universal story, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, women's sport, the origins of it were not usually in kind of trying to give women opportunities or, you know, create some sort of special place where we could achieve. Much more to do with women started playing men's sports and beating the men. And that was obviously (laughs) extremely unpalatable. Therefore, these categories suddenly had to be gendered. Um, Quite often in sports like skeet shooting, where really Mm. it makes absolutely no difference whether you're male or female. No. Well, until until we start winning. And then it it makes a huge difference. Then it's a really big issue. It's huge. Issue. It's interesting, isn't it? So basically, just I mean, the football just got banned because it was really popular. That's flatly it. Straightforwardly, yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's it, flatly it. Okay, it is obviously the Women's World Cup going it, going on right at the moment. Um, uh, and we there was another story the other day about England goalie Mary Earps and her kit. So she has a particular kit, obviously, to play, um, f- be a goalie in the World Cup for England. Um, but no one can buy it. No, they decided, I mean, they decided, well, who's they? I guess Nike, the sponsors, decided not to make it. 
at yeah. all. They've made everyone else's. And they sell, you know, traditionally they sell more strikers uniforms than goalkeepers anyway across the board in both gendered sec in, in all football. But this time they just didn't make it. They also didn't even ask her, do you want long or short sleeves for your kit that you play with? They just assumed short sleeves because it was in New Zealand and she's never played in short sleeves. Yeah, she likes long sleeves, right? She prefers long sleeves, so she has to wear something under it. But it's it's really heartbreaking for her because other all of her teammates family and friends and fans are going to come in their kit and her fans are going to have to come in just normal clothing or buy a different shirt and put her name on it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know what it strikes me as, which it sounds really terrible, is that Amazon should just do a cheap knockoff. I mean, that's what I would do if I was if I was in the if Primark, I was in the sportswear sports direct, business. There's so many so many places that could do a cheap knockoff. Yeah, just, or... I mean, literally do a quick a quick knockoff. I mean, you know, if if Topshop still existed, I'd say Topshop. But Primark, you know, Primark could do a cheap yeah. knockoff, and you know, it, it would fly out of the shops. I'd say now. I mean, they, and she they have quite rightly questioned her teammates have stuck with her and said, "Why are we associating with a sponsor that isn't?" <laughs> that's discriminating in this way. Yeah, isn't really doing some great people. sponsorship here. <laughs> Rubbish. Now, here at Paper Cuts, headlines are our jam. We go funny for punning, we adore alliteration, and like the Princess of Wales on a night off, we're up for a strong dose of silly billy. So, what do we have today? Oh. Alex. <laughs> Do you not like my stupid joke? <laughs> I love it, but it took me a moment to realize that it's his wife you were talking about and not his mother. <laughs> okay. Um, Alex, what have you got? In The Sun, we've got a story that uh, the Austrian football team WSG Tyrol signed um, a, a young midfielder um, called Matthew Collins, 18 years old. And only later when they Googled him did they find out that his dad... This is the musician Phil Collins. Mm. Very exciting for them. So the headline was, he was great in the air tonight. Beautiful oh. combination music and football headline. We like that. They could have just asked him. I don't think they had to Google. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we've also got in the sun um, a, a picture in the US of uh, a, a gentleman with the name of Joshua Falgust, 34, who um, seems to have sort of very carefully arranged some sort of objects on himself and then got sunburnt in the shape exactly of an American flag. So sort of uh, stars and stripes all down his torso. Um, looks a little bit painful. And we've got the headline, is that a star-spangled burner? Beautiful. We like that. OK. Rhea, what do you have? Um, I have an artist who makes people's faces with, with rocks. And he's done one of David Bowie. Uh, and so the headline is Pebble Rebel. Beautiful. I love that. <laughs> Short and sweet. But that's what we love the mirror for is uh, understanding the attention span of its reader. And then also, the RSPC rescued 65 mallard ducks after they were swept over a steep weir. <gasps> so our headline for that is quacking effort by the RSPCA. Yeah, we love that. Quacking's always good, isn't it? And I have one from the Metro. This is about a story about Harry and Meghan, who uh, apparently tried to blag a lift on the president's <laughs> plane after the Queen's funeral, um, but they were refused. And the headline is Spare Force One. Very good. Boom. <laughs> VG. Don't forget, we want you to give us your amazing headlines. If you check our social media for the hashtag fix the headline, we have put up a great story with a rubbish headline. If you tweet or thread us a better one, you could win a paper cuts t-shirt. Can we have a whoop? Woohoo! Woo <laughs> 
Now, the royal family is spread across the papers this morning in a variety of ways. The Times has a picture of King Charles with an alpaca giving him the side eye. It has also, across the top, columnist Catelyn Moran saying, I like a cut-price queen. In the sun, there's a three-page spread of pictures of Prince George, who's turning 10. And as the top story in The Guardian, we have a a piece about how King Charles is set to get a huge pay rise paid for by us. I have to now say the UK taxpayers, because that's what we always say when you say it's paid for by us. And on the front page of the mirror, we have uh, Andrew's Epstein lies on Newsnight, which is about Prince Andrew. OK, lots of stories. Alex, shall we look at the Guardian story first? This is essentially about the government planning to boost public funding of the monarchy by 45% from 2025. So it goes up from 86 million to 125 million. Yes, a pretty big rise. Um, so this is the sovereign grant, which is, so it's not exactly sort of a, a pay rise personally for King Charles. You know, he's not just sort of taking that money and <laughs> swanning off to Vegas. Um, it, it's the It's basically the annual budget for the monarchy, for all the kind of stuff it does. Um, and it's supposedly pegged against the profits from a from the Crown Estate, from the National Property Portfolio held by the Crown Estate. Um, but there's a lot of opacity involved here, according to the Guardian report. It does seem a little bit complicated. So the Guardian is saying that this review of royal funding settlement was heavily spun by the Treasury to give the impression that the King would be taking a pay cut so that the Crown Estate funds could instead be spent on public services. Um, but in fact, what the report says is that there will be a very, very big rise in the amount of the sovereign grant. So next year, it's going to remain at 86.3 million, already quite a lot of money. By 2025, it will increase by 38.5 million. Nice pay rise if you can get it um, up to 124.8 million and then 126 million by 2026. Why do they need more money? There's less and less of them. I know. I will suppose they need it to um, zhuzh up Buckingham Palace. That's part of the reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which is apparently in a pretty manky state. I went round it just for a piece. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it's it's not it's not bad. They have this really weird thing where they have do you remember the um the kind of three bar fires that you used to have when you you know at your grand or indeed in your own house when you were younger. They've got a posh version of three bar fires all the way around and that it's kind of like a, a you know slightly slightly fancier. But because they can't switch on the three bar fires, they've got fake <laughs> They've got pieces of paper in the shape of a fire. <laughs> All the way around. So it's like beautifully done up. They've got, you know, lovely art, lovely carpets, and then these really dodgy kind of three... What, in the fireplace. Three bar fire. Yeah, it's just, you know, I'm, I'm, it's is, a detail I mean, that, that stayed with me. Yeah. It's yeah. rubbish. <laughs> I do. I, I once went round it. Um, do you think in, the grandkids did it? Do you think like George and Charlotte... And no, I mean, it's really... <laughs> it's, just it colouring in fire. Really rubbish. And I have to say there was another time... Sorry, I feel like I've been around the Buckingham Palace loads of times, but I have been round it again <coughs> in the 90s, <laughs> back in the good old days, to write a kind of column. I went to a, I went to a Buckingham Palace tea party and... Um, Ooh, someone's showing off. I know. Mm-hmm. Well, I just blagged it in. You could do it in those How days. How did you blag it in? I just said I want to write a piece and they said, yeah, all right. And I went Last in... Last time I went over the wall, they arrested me. Yeah, I know. So I went in. It was it was fun. They had a brass band playing, you know, you know, song play actually playing the James Bond theme, as I recall. There was cucumber sandwiches. And then I went for a walk around the lake. There's a lake. And I found a small... In Buckingham Palace? Yeah, there's a lake. That's there's, why they need the fires. Yeah, there's a lake. There's also a tennis court. And I found a summer house... And it was a summer house. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. Had a look inside. And it was exactly like everybody's shed. It was full of old, <laughs> old 
um, gifts that the Queen didn't want. (gasps) (laughs) So there was like kind of drums from somewhere in Africa with an engraving on it that she obviously didn't want in the house that she just shoved in this summer house. In the shed. Yeah, and really terrible wicker furniture. I mean, you know, that's what it was like. I think they've improved it now. Ria, let's yes. have a look at the pictures of Georgie Porgy in must the we? Sun. Okay, if we must. Okay, yes. Yeah, so, so the Sun has decided to celebrate Prince George turning ten. He's always in blue, isn't he? I mean, they literally He's... never dress him in any other color. He's just in blue and yes. shorts. Always in those terrible always in shorts, shorts until they're. I think until now, isn't it? Until ten? Is he starting now being trousers yeah. now? Into ten or twelve? Yeah, that's right. So yes, it's just just to look back over the last ten years of his life. I mean. He, He's achieved a lot. I mean, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's fair enough, way. isn't it? <laughs> there he is being blonde and short. And now he's grown a little bit to be, you know, blonde and slightly taller. I think the most, to me, the most interesting thing about George is the fact that he will be the first brown eyed monarch in many decades. Really? If not hundreds of years. Yeah. So, oh. so Elizabeth. Yeah. So William, Charles, Elizabeth all had blue eyes. And I think George as well. But, he, you know, because... Because she's brought, you know, her middle class brown eyes in. <gasps> yeah, there you go. All that, all that genetic diversity. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Now, the papers aren't all scary climate change and awful war. There's a silly trend, stuff fads, and page upon page of what women should wear. What have we spotted? Okay, I'm going to read one out for you for, from the star. Okay, it's a great story entitled A Toilet Roll for Teacher. <laughs> <laughs> Which sounds like a lovely children's book, doesn't it? Okay. You know what? In 2020, that was a very valuable gift. <laughs> <laughs> it was and it's about end of school year gifts for teachers. Perhaps that was the 2021. Okay, I'm going to read these out and you can see okay. which ones you will be glad to receive as a teacher. Okay, toilet roll. Yeah, useful. Yeah, okay. Used lipstick. Yeah. No, oh, not so good. No. A half-eaten advent calendar. <laughs> <laughs> Wait a minute. From the last year? Presumably. Well, I haven't counted half full or half empty. Well, I mean, you know, th- this is the question, isn't it? Uh, a used bottle of shampoo. We're not sure how much was in it. Okay. This is a great one. A mug which said world's greatest dad with dad crossed out and replaced with teacher. <laughs> oh. Okay, I kind of want that. <laughs> I, that, that. I would give that. Yeah, it's quite sweet, right? And then this one, this one, this one was left actually on the teacher's desk. A hammer and a screwdriver. <laughs> Wow. Okay. I um, think that someone came in to fix something, yeah. left their tools on the desk, and the teacher took them home. Yeah, and the kid just claimed them. Like, yeah, yeah, there's your gift. Yeah, yeah I gave yeah. those. Okay, and then these four last ones I absolutely love. Okay. A stick of rhubarb. <laughs> oh. Novelty pants. Of course, Ooh. why not? Inappropriate. Yeah. Mm. A rabbit. An entire a live rabbit. rabbit. A live, a live rabbit. rabbit. Right? Oh, no. And a live frog. <laughs> <laughs> Were the rabbit and the frog together? And two different teachers. Okay, okay. Two, but one, they, not one but display. Like did they give the like, Muppets? Right, and did they give the rabbit and a cage and some food and some hay, or they just went just, and out of my hat? Yeah, um, for you. I, yeah, exactly. I think it's one. Of, some of these are literally, you know. I mean, speaking as, um, you know, can I say this is an awful phrase? Speaking as a mother. <laughs> speaking as a mother. You know, I mean, there is a time at the end of term where you're, but like, oh my god, I forgot to buy a gift. I haven't done anything, and if the kid realizes this. 
earlier than the parent, then the kid is just going to swipe something and bring it in. You know what I mean? Whether it's his own pet rabbit, a stick of rhubarb, a hammer. But it's a great way to re-gift things that you didn't want yourself. Yeah. Well, this is how the queen could get rid of all those African drums. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, hand them over, George. Okay, Alex, you've got a story, right? Yeah, I mean, I, a very urgent, pressing story. So um, <laughs> this is this is in the Times. This is actually on page three of the Times. So pretty high profile, um, with lots of big pics. So it's that uh, top chef. Uh, panned for his pizza pick. So this is about Marcus Waring, a Michelin-starred chef, who uh, was asked questions of what is your favourite pizza, and he said Pizza Express. Um, <laughs> no. He said that's the best pizza in London. He particularly said he liked the American Hot, which I do too, actually. It's a pepperoni and paprika creation, apparently, that comes with a choice of hot green or jalapeno peppers. It's just, yeah, well, it's just an American if Hot. He likes it. It's an American Hot. <laughs> if he likes Pizza Express in London, he should try the one in Woking. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh, very true. Back very to the true. Royals. Um, I mean, you know, no sweat. Uh, but yeah, he he actually he's got form on this because even back in 2012, um, he told Spears magazine, whatever that is, um, that this may be a surprise, but I'm a regular at our local Pizza Express with our children. I think it's fantastic. I have tried other pizza restaurants, but the service is lacking. Ah, uh, it's the service then, not particularly the pizza. pizza. I have Express. to say that you could have an argument about this because Pizza Express pizzas have got smaller. I mean, you know, over the years smaller they've got and smaller. Much more expensive much more expensive they've got rid of some of the one some of the particular selections that i liked in my time so i mean you know did they serve is that the place that served the one with a hole in the middle yeah. and they just went oh look you can still have a pizza but with fewer calories exactly that yeah I mean, the like diet a donut pizza, pizza? Yeah, yeah no yeah. sorry with mm. like a, a cold salad in the Instead. middle of the whole, really not nice but i was i mean it's fancy now so you know uh, his favourite pizza, the American Hot, now costs sixteen pounds twenty-five. Wow! At okay. Pizza Express, which is pretty steep. I know. I mean, but there again, you know, you could always, always go for some kind of like forty-nine quid artisan Manchego pizza from a kind of hipster shed in in Margate. No, I mean, should he be doing that? Going to Margate? I, I couldn't. <laughs> I'm not going to comment on that. <laughs> Anyone in Margate, if you can find a £49 pizza, you you just send us the link to that. And we'll tell Marcus Waring. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to Alex. Thank you. And thanks to Ria. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to follow Paper Cuts on your favourite podcast app. If you really like us, then leave us five stars on Spotify and Apple and a hotter than a burning Britain Benidorm review. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Paper Cuts Show. The links are in the show notes. Don't forget, fix the headline. Follow our Twitter and threads for this week's story with a rubbish headline that you can improve and you might win a fabulous exclusive Paper Cuts t-shirt. I've been Miranda Sawyer and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when Margot Robbie has been thinking of returning to her old flat in Clapham because she misses the garden gnome. (laughs) (laughs) See you next time. Paper Cuts was written and presented by Miranda Sawyer with Ria Lina and Alex von Tunzelman. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. Managing editor of news, Jacob Jarvis. Show production and edit by Sophie Black. Production support, Adam Wright and executive producer Martin Boytosh.